Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Now, I'm going to assume this morning that this place is full because the Broncos are playing at 11 and you came to the 9 o'clock service. I know you're more spiritual than that, but this is an unusually large 9 o'clock crowd that it dawned on me. Oh, the Broncos play at 11. So now we're in that season where I can tell which service is going to be bigger depending on the Broncos schedule. But not that we have an idol problem or anything like that. I just want to point that out. Hey, I want you welcome to church, by the way. If it's your first time at New Life, we're glad to have you. We have eight congregations meeting in six locations, speaking three different languages all over the city. And they are meeting right now. Downtown is actually meeting up here. New Life East, New Life Manitou Springs, Nueva Vida. We have a Mandarin-speaking Chinese church. We meet on Friday night up here at 6.30, and this is New Life North, in case you're wondering. That's, I think I got all eight of them there. So anyway, we're glad to have you here at New Life North. Hey, would you pray with me this week? We have about 50 pastors and leaders from all around the country who will be here Tuesday and Wednesday. And a couple of times a year, we, we host what we call the Essential Church Learning Community. And these pastors are coming from, I don't know, 20, 30 states. They'll be here with us on Tuesday and Wednesday for an intentional time of learning together, praying together, worshiping together. And let me just say, around the country right now, pastors are extremely discouraged for various reasons. And so I've just been praying that these, these two days that we have with them, that the Holy Spirit would just fill their souls. So if you think about it on Tuesday, if you think about it on Wednesday, would you just pray that the Holy Spirit would meet us in these meetings with these pastors and leaders, and then we would send them back out to their congregations full of life. Would you join me? Is that okay? Say amen if you're all right with that. All right, six of you, that's great. Uh, love, love pastoring a praying church. Turn, <laughs> I'm joking with you. Turn to Galatians chapter four. We're in a series called The Revolutionary Gospel. And if you've never read the book of Galatians, it's in the New Testament, you just go to the red letters, take a right, you'll run right into it. Right before Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, there is the book called Galatians. And Paul wrote the book on one of his journeys. He went there, he spent some time with these people. It's in modern day Turkey, the, the, the province of Galatia. It was a very unreached group of people full of Jewish people and Gentile people. When Paul came there, he told them that salvation was by grace. That salvation from God, you could be near to God, close to God, just by believing and trusting, putting your faith in Jesus. And for them, it was revolutionary because they'd never heard of a God that would accept them by grace alone. They knew of a God that you had to earn your way toward him. You had to behave a certain way in order for God to like you and for them to hear that Jesus had taken all of their sins on the cross, their sins were paid for, and all they had to do was trust and believe, that was revolutionary. And so we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, and I'm gonna, we arrive now at Galatians chapter four, and Paul is about to say something about that relationship with God, that for me is almost 55 years old, it's still revolutionizing the way I live, the way I behave, the way I worship, the way I pray, the way I relate to my children, the way I relate to my friends, the kind of husband I wanna to be to Pam, this passage that we're about to read today has shaped me and changed me and challenged me in a profound way. So I'm gonna ask that it do the same for you. So if you're open to that, can we just pray before we read the scriptures? And here's what I want you to pray. I want you to give the Holy Spirit 
permission to hold a mirror up in front of your soul and for you to see yourself through the reflection of the scriptures. Not through the reflection of your parents, not through the reflection of the culture, not through the reflection of your friends. I'm asking for the next 20 or 30 minutes, would you give the Holy Spirit permission to shine his reflection back to you through the scriptures? Is that good? Are you catching that? Let's pray that together. Father, we give you that permission today. Would you shape us and change us, challenge us, do holy work in us? And we give you permission to do that today in Jesus' name. Galatians chapter four, Paul's about to say something about our relationship to God that I, I doubt many of us have truly caught in its fullest form. Galatians chapter four says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Now he's comparing here, following the laws, the Judaic law compared to the grace of Jesus. Verse two says the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So Paul's using very intellectual legal language here to describe this relationship. So also when you were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, here's the gospel. You wanna know what the gospel is? You, don't wanna, hear, you wanna hear some really good news? God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those that are those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's the good news of the Bible. That's, that's why we're here this morning. That's why my life has been radically changed because I believe what I just read. I believed it. I'm still believing it today. I still trust it. It's still changing my life today. Verse six, this is where we have a hard time believing. You might believe all that, what I just said, but do you believe verse six? Because you are his sons. Now, let me just stop to all the ladies in the room. I, I don't know, I'll ask the Lord when I get to heaven why so much male language is used in the scripture. But I just wanna tell you, this is the way it reads, but it's, he's talking about sons and daughters, okay? He's talking about men and women. So I just wanna make sure you catch that and not, not pushed off by the heavy male language here. Because you are his sons, and I'll add this to myself, and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out Abba Father. Let's leave that up just for a moment. Here's what he's saying. Only by the power and the help and the work of the Holy Spirit can you see God as father and can you believe that you're a son and a daughter? You can't do this on your own. Don't even try because it's too big to imagine. It's too, you just, you can't arrive there through your own intellectual capacities, he's saying. You have to have the help of the Holy Spirit in order to live this way, to believe this way, and to trust God this way. He said, it's the Spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no, verse seven, you are no longer a slave. Let me just speak this over you, New Life Church. Look at, everybody look at your pastor just for a moment. You are no longer a slave. I thought of that, that you could say amen if you believe that. I mean, if you want to stay in slavery, just, just be quiet. I mean, but if you want this, what I'm speaking over you in blessing, we just prayed a blessing over each other. Would you receive that as a blessing? You are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. You, you're a child of God. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. 
In other words, all of the promises that God gave Abraham are now yours. Your, your seed will be a blessing. Your life will be a blessing to many. Count the stars in the sky. That's how blessed your life will be. That's how God wants to use you. You now have a purpose, a calling and a position and it's called sonship. You've been adopted, you're an heir and everything that God has promised the human race is now yours. That is really, really good news by the way. Super good news. Here's, here, let me just summarize this. We're sons and daughters, not slaves. Now we need to ask ourselves a question this morning, Pastor Brady, why? I've, I've never really been in slavery. Most of you have never been captured or been put in slavery and we're Briargate people, we're free people, we're Americans. I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about here. He's talking about spiritual conditions. He's talking about the way we all relate to God. He's talking about the, the conversations you have with yourself and with God and with others. He's talking about how do you feel when you've messed up? How many of you have messed up this week? Can we just confess that and get that out of the way? How many of you just really messed up at least once this week? I think I've messed up a dozen times this week. Now, let me stop you. If, if, how do you feel when you've messed up? How do you come to God after you've made a mistake? So why is this so important to get this right? How does a slave live? Maybe you didn't know you were a slave. Maybe you've been living like a slave in your relationship to God, but Paul's addressing this. So how does a slave live? Well, I want you to take some notes today. Okay, I'm gonna give you some thoughts today and I need you to process this. I need you to take this and process it with the people who know you best. There's two ways to process things, by yourself and with someone. And I think you should do both after every message. You should process it with yourself and then you should sit down and process it with the people who know you and love you. So how does a slave live? Number one, slaves feel like they don't belong. Slaves never feel like they have this permanent spot in the family. They, they feel at any moment that their position, their importance, their place can be taken away from them at any moment. In other words, slaves feel that their worth is based on their performance. That, that if I do well, if I behave well, if I'm good enough, if I'm good, I get God. If I'm not good, I don't get God. This is the way slaves feel. Everything's based on their performance. And Paul was confronting this. Whoa, 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 whoa. If your performance determines your salvation, then you don't need Jesus. Did you hear that today? If your performance and your behavior determines your salvation, you don't need Jesus. You just need to be good. Paul was addressing that. He says, listen, I don't know how good you are, but you're not good enough. Some of you are good, good people, but at your best, when you're at your goodest. <laughs> it's good English there, by the way. I used to be an English teacher. When you're at your goodest, it's not good enough. Paul was saying, you all of us need a savior. And slaves feel like if they perform well, and, and this is why these people in, in some ways are some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. They become self-righteous. They're really impressed with how good they are. And when you're not as good as they are, they remind you of it. Have you ever met anybody like that, that they're really good, almost nauseating good? You know, every post on Instagram is, 
rainbows, unicorns, and butterflies, and rabbits, and everything's awesome. And when you're around them, everything is so awesome all the time. And it's almost nauseating. I just don't like being around them because they don't seem real, it seems fake. And they put on this persona because they're convinced that it's their performance that is the reason God loves them. If they perform well, they have a place. And if they don't, they're punished. If they perform well, they keep their spot. If they don't, the mad God is coming after them. And listen, this is a, another, I think, a characteristic of slavery is slaves are sensitive to any criticism, real or imagined. You criticize them and they, you will see their claws come out. Mama bear, papa bears come out, claws exposed. Any criticism because they believe someone's going to take their spot. See, they're fighting for something. They're striving for something. They're, they're, they're pushing their way into every conversation. They're pushing their way into everything because they realize at some point, I'm gonna get exposed, my place is gonna be taken from me, so I cannot take any criticism. Over the years as your pastor, I've taken quite a bit of criticism, most of it unfair, and some of it unfair, some of it maybe, I don't know, true. And Someone asked me the other day, said, Pastor Brady, how do you handle being criticized? And so I said to them, I don't like it, but it doesn't rattle me. I, sleep, I slept really good last night. And the night before that, I slept even better. And the night before that, I slept really, really good because when you have integrity, when you know you've done the best you can, see at this point, I don't trust on my performance. It's not about my performance. I've been adopted. My place has been set. My place has been sealed. My place, I'm in the palm of his hand and no power of hell and no scheme of man can take me from the palm of his hand. So it doesn't matter if people like you or don't like you, if they're critical or not critical. I know that God loves me. I'm in his hand. He's the one that called me into this place and I will be in this place as long as he wants me to. And the day he doesn't need me in this spot, he'll take me to another spot and place me there. You see, the point is, you go to bed at night knowing your position is not up for grabs. You know how good that is to live like that? Where, you know, I don't, you know, I beca you get this Teflon coating over your life where criticism bounces off of you. It does hurt, sticks and stones do feel bad, but it doesn't unsettle you. It doesn't rattle your cage. The bottom line is slaves see God as a master to impress and not a father to love. I want you to please never forget this. When you are tempted to follow God like a master that you have to impress, you have fallen into the pattern of slavery that Paul's talking about here. God's not a master that needs us to impress him. He's a father that asks us to love him. And see, that changes the way I worship now, changes the way I pray. It changes the way I treat other people around me. If God is treating me that way, if God wants me to be in relationship with him as son to father, guess what? As a boss, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, all the relationships that you have and I have, how then will I relate to other people? Am I gonna require them to be, to impress me like a master or to be a son, a husband, a father, and a friend that wants to love you? It changes, it's a radical shift and the way we live with one another when you catch this idea of sonship. So how does a son live? How does it look like a son lives? First of all, sons believe they belong. I, I know I belong. And it's not because I've done good stuff. It's not because I've earned enough points. 
It's not because I have, I'm a silver elite or a gold member now because I've behaved and I got all the miles under my belt. It's not because of my performance. It's because I had chosen to believe and to put my hope and trust in a God that wants to adopt me. Sons, sons when, they, when they begin to do work, sons want to be producers, not performers. They want to be productive, but they don't want to be performers. And, I, and when you're around people who are busy a lot, I catch the spirit from people all the time. People who are wanting to perform and get attention are people who want to be productive and bear fruit. When you're around people who want to be productive, they are hardworking. They don't care if they get the spotlight. They don't care if anybody sees them. They're not posting every victory on Facebook. They're not posting everything. They're not bragging about themselves. They are just being productive. They get up in the morning and they earn their sleep at night by being productive, by working hard, by putting in the time, by putting in the effort, and they're serving under the radar. That's what a son does. Because a son's not trying to prove anything to God. He's already gotten everything he can get from God. Adoption and sonship has already been given to him. Here's what I love this. I love this. Sons feel corrected. Slaves feel punished. I don't know if you've read Hebrews 12 re recently, but go back this week if you want some additional reading and read Hebrews 12, 6 through 10 or 11. Read those five or six verses because Paul, the writer of Hebrews, talks about God correcting, God coming alongside his sons and daughters, and he will discipline those that he loves, and he, he will come and correct us, but it's not punishment, it's correction. When Abram and Callie were growing up, it, there's a difference in the way you parent. All the parents in the room, young parents, listen especially, there's two ways to discipline your children. You can correct them or you can punish them. And punishment tells them they're bad, what they did was bad, and they'll always be bad. But correction says there's something better for you. That behavior is going to take something away from you that God wants to give you. I want to correct you because I want you to be on this path where God will bless you. And see, the, the tenor and the tone of your language when you're disciplining your children will determine if your kids grow up in a slave-like relationship with God or in a son and daughter relationship with God. Sons get corrected, slaves get punished. Let me show you this now in Luke chapter three, one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible, in my opinion, Luke chapter three, Jesus is about 30 years old. He's about to get water baptized. And this is a, a beautiful moment where God the Father is about to say something to Jesus. In Luke chapter three, verse 20 says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. You know what I love about that is that Jesus was right there with the crowd. Common people getting baptized, Jesus jumps right in. The Son of God says, I'll stand in line. I'll wait my turn. Let's do this together. I love that. He gets baptized with a bunch of people. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. Listen to what was said. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, and with you, I am well pleased. Now listen to this, this is very careful. Jesus is 30 years old. You know the only thing we know about the birth of Jesus till 30 years old? When he was about 12, he got lost at the mall. That's all we know about those 30 years. <laughs> Read the Bible for yourself, he got lost. Parents couldn't find him. That's all Jesus did in the first 30 years. Helped his father in the, in the carpentry shop, and he got lost one time. And yet Jesus says, I am well pleased with you. 
Jesus, the father told him he was pleased before he had done anything. Are you, are you catching this today? That you're, that Jesus, the father in heaven doesn't love you because of how good you've been. He wants you to be good. He doesn't want you to be bad, but that's not the criteria for his grace. Jesus didn't have to prove himself. He didn't have to go to any extravagant lengths to prove himself to his father. He just was obedient in baptism and a voice from heaven. All right, dads and moms, I'm gonna give you these words, okay? If you will speak this over your children, start today. At least once a day, I wanna give you something to say over your children that will radically change the tenor and the tone of your relationship with your kids. Here it is, I love you and I'm proud of you. I'm 50, almost 55, a thousand times growing up, my dad said, I love you, son. I'm proud of you. And my dad, I know I've painted my dad to be this heroic figure. My dad wasn't even a born again believer until after I was in college. I didn't grow up with a Christian dad. But the one thing he did well, one of the many things he did well, even though he was not a follower of Jesus till later, even when I was little and I really messed up, I don't know where my dad learned this, but he got seared into my soul. Brady, I love you. You know how many men I've met with over the years, their dads never told them they love them? There are men right now in this room, your dad never told you any of those things. And you're still trying to prove something to a dad who's been dead 15 years. This is what happens in our soul if we don't catch this early on. Moms and dads, you have the ability right now to shape and form your kids. If you say nothing else to your kid today, find a time where you can say, I love you, I am very proud of you. And it will shift and change the entire tenor and tone of your relationship with them. When your kids are at their most rebellious and getting in your grill and arguing with you, just stop the conversation and you say, you know what, even right now, I love you, I'm proud of you. Do you know what happened after Luke chapter three? Luke chapter four. That's a good pastor joke. Isn't that funny? Not, I love that. All right. <laughs> Luke chapter four, Jesus goes out into the desert and he's tempted by the, the Satan himself for three different temptations. But notice here in Luke chapter four, verse three, the first thing the devil says to Jesus, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But the good thing about Jesus is that his sonship had already been settled. You see what was being attacked here? The Satan comes in, hey, by the way, you think you're a son, but if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And by the way, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and the first thing he gets tempted with is warm, freshly baked bread. That's evil, that is evil. And Jesus, Jesus says, I'm already, that my sonship's already been determined. In other words, Jesus could overcome temptation because he was already sure of his sonship. How did he go through the desert and overcome that? Because of what had happened in Luke three. You are my son. Now go face your greatest enemy because you're my son. And that's what happened. Listen, you can face your greatest enemy if you are convinced you've been adopted. I'm gonna tell you two stories this morning and some of you have heard these stories before, but it's been many years since I've told these stories. But there were two different episodes that happened with Abram and Callie 
where these two particular stories the Lord used to change the trajectory of my life. And the first one happened when Callie was about five years old, maybe four years old. And we were living in Texas before we moved here and she had gotten invited to a birthday party where all the girls were told to dress up as princesses. Now the problem with that is that Callie despised the idea of princess. I don't know what happened in her little heart at five years old, four years old, but she did not want to go. She loved these girls, loved this, her little set of friends, but she would not dress up as a princess where her mother, Pam, was just beside herself like, You're, you, go, you wanna go to the party, don't you? Yes, I wanna go to the party. I'm just not gonna dress up as a princess. But Callie, all the other girls, like 13 or 14 girls, they're all gonna be dressed up like princesses. So we, we talked, it. that's exactly what Callie did right there. That was, that's the perfect timing, because that's exactly what she did. It screamed your head off. I'm so sorry. I'll try to tell a better story, okay? I'm already, I'm already losing customers here. So Pam goes and buys this princess costume for Callie and Callie gets dressed. And I wanna show you the photo of Callie after she gets dressed. There she is. She still does this when she's mad. Her shoulders go forward. She's crying. She does not wanna be a princess. And we looked at her and I'm beside myself. I'm like, Callie, why do you not want to wear that? You look beautiful. I'm doing all the dad stuff. You look beautiful. She goes, it itches. I don't like it. It itches. And the tiara's hurting my head. I don't want to go. Well, we were, we'd already told our friends we're bringing her to the party. We said, Callie, then what do you want to do? Do you want to go to the party? Yes, but I want to go as a cowgirl. <laughs> well, we had just bought her a cowgirl outfit and this is what she looked like right after it. So that's about, that's me sitting in the back. You see me back there with my hands behind my head, leaving all this to Pam, of course, trying to stay out of it. That's about 30 pounds ago, back there behind her. All right, this is Callie. Let me show you the next photo because she ended up going to the party like this and they took a photo. There's like 13 little princesses and Callie is the cowgirl. <laughs> I'm telling you that because as a dad, I realized that the, her performance is not what made me love her. It was her uniqueness, her gifting, who she was that made me even fall more in love with her. Some of you are so worried about being different. Maybe you don't fit. Maybe you're a square peg in a round hole sometimes. And this is, the Lord's not basing his love and grace to you because you fit in. The Lord's basing his love and grace to you because of how he, he wired you. And, and Callie is still very independent today. She's very, she has a singular focus on who she is and what she wants to do. She's 21 years old in a couple of months and she is still the cowgirl showing up at princess parties. And I think that's the way that's, and she's in film production, she's creative. She sees things differently, she's wired differently. And I'm okay with that because God's okay with that. So fast forward, that was when Callie was about five. Fast forward, the first week I was here, I was coming to be your pastor. And one of the elders here in the church uh, haphazardly told a, uh, told a local media company that we had adopted both of our children. So Abram and Callie are both adopted. If you didn't know that, we got them at birth. And so we had not told Abram and Callie that they were adopted. So the first week I'm here, Pam and I decided we need to sit down with Abram and Callie and tell them 
that they're adopted because I don't want them running up and down the hallways of new life and somebody saying, hey, I'm adopted too. And they, they don't know what you're talking about. So before I ever came and preached my first service, I sat down with a little rent house, not far from here, I sat down with them. And Pam and I told them the story of us adopting Abram and Callie. We told them each their individual stories and they were eight years old and six years old. And they looked at us and said, thanks for telling us that. Can we go watch VeggieTales? It was really not dramatic. Low drama. We were surprised at how uh, less, they weren't that upset about it. They were okay with it. And so that we were just watching them. We, we talked to some therapists about how to tell them and they gave us some things to look, look for. And so I remember this being a Sunday night because I, I, I remember we, where we were living. I remember that I was tired when I got home. And so on a Sunday night, I take Abram, he was eight years old at the time. I took him into his room and I prayed over him. I laid hands on him like I did every night prayed over him, spoke blessings over him. And I'm walking out and Abram's voice from behind me says, Hey dad, this is months after I told him. And we had not had any conversations in months about this. He goes, Hey dad. I said, yes, Abram. He said, thanks for adopting me. And I said, Abram, you are very, very welcome. I'm glad I adopted you. And one of our therapists, told us, he said, you know, sometimes when kids are adopted, they feel this detachment syndrome. And so I went back over to his bed just to make sure everything was good with him. And I said, Abram, why don't you ask me that? Why don't you say that? He said, well, dad, I've just been thinking that if you had not adopted me, we wouldn't be buddies. I know, I know. It's just like he could have asked for anything in the world. He lost this beautiful opportunity to ask for anything at that point. So I just prayed over him one more time and walked out. And I got out in the hallway and the Lord says, that was not for Abram, that was for you. I said, well, Lord, what do you mean? He said, well, Brady, if I had not chosen to adopt you, we couldn't be friends either. And that was the whole point of me adopting you, Brady. We just read the whole point of the gospel. God chose to adopt us. Why? Because he wants to be friends. God wants to be your friend. God wants you to call him Abba Father, which is a very, very familiar term. It's a, it's a term of a good dad and a good child having a conversation. Abba Father, Abba Father. That's the relationship God wants to have with you today. He's already made up his mind to adopt you. Now here's the good news. All you have to do is say yes to that adoption. That's all you gotta do is say yes. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that today. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand up with me. <clears throat> In just a moment, we're gonna to come to the table of the Lord. And I hope these two particular stories, I pray that you would be able to come to the table of the Lord in a different way from this point forward. That it's not a meal that some powerful figure has prepared for you where you've gotta be on your best behavior. No, it's a, a meal given to you by your father. Dad has prepared a meal for you and he's asking you as sons and daughters to come and sit with him and have a meal. That's the power of this. But if you're not here today, maybe you've never said yes to this adoption. There's an offer of adoption on the table today. All you have to do is say yes. And I'm gonna pray this over you. For those of you watching online, some of you are watching online today and your heart is stirred and you're ready to say yes to Jesus. I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer. If you find yourself praying that prayer, we wanna pray with you after the service. We wanna to talk to you about what that means. So Father in heaven, all of us in the room today, we come and we thank you that you've already made up your mind to adopt us.
that there is a offer of adoption on the table today. The Father, I say yes. I cannot say yes for anyone else in the room. I cannot say yes for people watching online, but they can. And I pray right now that they would, if all they can pray is yes, I pray today that they would say yes to receiving Jesus as Lord of their lives, for making a decision today that Jesus is their father, that they can call out Abba, Father, and you will be right there with them, that you will never leave them or forsake them or abandon them. And that for the rest of their days, they will have an awareness and a nearness of God. Father, I thank you today that hundreds, if not thousands of people are saying yes right now to being adopted into your family. And we pray this now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Can we just thank the Lord for that today? Thank the Lord for all those who prayed that prayer. We're going to sing this song. I love this song. And I don't always have the song, you know, tie in with the sermon, but this is such a beautiful song. It talks about our adoption. It talks about us being sons and daughters. And so we're going to sing this song and let it be a prayer. Maybe you need to respond. Maybe you need to get a little bit, get rid of some slave behavior today. Maybe you need to shine that mirror into your heart and let this song be the final prayer that you pray today. And in just a moment, we'll come back and we'll receive the table of the Lord. Let's pray together. Let's sing this together. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. chosen me love has called my name and I've been born again into your family and your blood flows through
as his sons, as his daughters. All together we say, come on. You don't have to perform to receive these elements. You just have to believe that Jesus has done the work necessary to make us his children. How can it be? How, how can it be that we're no longer slaves? It's because of the body and the blood of Jesus. How can it be that we're children of God? It's because of the body and the blood of Jesus. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. As often as you take this, do this in remembrance of me. We eat together. And after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for you in the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. We drink together. And so now we respond. Let us respond in song to the work of Jesus. Come on. I'm no longer, and I'm no longer a slave to fear. No, no. Oh, I am a child.
thankful for what God has done. That's good news. And we got good news to share with people. Hey, not every day's a party, but today's a party, both because of what God has done and also specifically if you're in sections four, five, or 12. It is your section party today, all right? So please don't leave. We'd love for you to spend a few more minutes. This is where a big church becomes small. We'd love to get to know you, have you meet other people who sit near you. So please stick around if you're sitting in those sections. Also wanna invite our, um, our prayer team to come forward. I'm gonna invite them to come forward so that if there's anything that we can pray with you about, we'd love to do that after we conclude the service. And if you're new around here, we'd also love to meet you. You could head out these doors back in that corner. There's um, some staff, some volunteers. We can answer any questions that you have. We would love to get to meet you. All right, well, before we head out, why don't we just open our hands like this and let me pray over you what we've already sung today. And that is, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May it be so today, Lord. Go now in the grace and peace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week.